0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary.
1: Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's
0: such an honor to present this next award.
1: And here are the nominees. And... The Oscar goes to...
0: And um, the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me! I'm the king of the
2: world! There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture.
1: I am Katie Rich, and I'm here for this interview episode with David Canfield. Hi, Katie. Uh, David, it's the thick of Emmy season that we've been talking to TV people for so long, so it's a real pleasure to get to talk about a movie and get to talk about Dale Dickey, who inevitably has been in something that somebody loves and seems to be getting a real showcase in the movie you're talking about today.
2: Yes, a leading role for an actor who most know from second long parts in a lot of TV shows and movies, <laughs> uh, sometimes minutes or minutes long. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful movie, uh, a love song that premiered uh, at Sundance. Uh, she is the lead, along with Wes Studi. It's a middle-aged romance. It's got some shades of Nomadland. Uh, she plays a widow who um, really finds a new sense of meaning over the course of the movie. Uh, but it's got beautiful shots of the American West. They shot it near Telluride. And Dale Dickey is uh, pretty extraordinary in it, I would say.
1: What I think of her, I think of her being intimidating usually. I think a lot of that comes from Winter's Bone, which is one of the first things I remember seeing her in. Uh, but also Palm Springs, which she's really funny oh, in. Yeah. Um, I, and, but it sounds like this is a, a real new shade of what she can do.
2: Yeah, I mean, we definitely talked a lot about the intimidating nature of her... Most of her past roles, she said that people will run away from her on the street sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I remember one of my first like moments of awareness of her was when she crushed the man in Breaking Bad with an ATM machine. It's a kind of <laughs> iconic visual for, a, again, like a second long performance for Dale Dickey. Um, but yeah, this is a completely different key for her. And uh, she was very aware of that. We, we also did talk about Winter's Bone a lot because she won the Independent Spirit Award for that. Uh, it was a real break for her in her career. Um, I mean, she is
1: terrifying in *Winter's Bone*. Like, yes. I don't know if people—if—if if you remember that movie at all, I think you remember her.
2: Yes, there is a there's a bashing scene that is <laughs> quite vivid. Um, yeah. but yeah, she she's proven she doesn't just play terrifying characters with this movie. Safe yeah.
1: to say. Um, yeah, and she's also in a *League of Their Own*, which I'm hoping you talk about as well. I've seen a little bit of that, and it's uh she's she's an authority figure, but maybe not as scary. And it's a really charming performance in that too.
2: We we absolutely did, and it is nice that this year she's, you know, she's in pretty much every episode of League of Their Own, and she is the lead of this movie, and that is by far the most exposure she's ever experienced as an actor, despite being in this business for many decades, and it is something she's getting used to. Um, it was definitely one of the more off-the-cuff interviews I've done <laughs> for this podcast, I say it in the best way. Um, and just a really delightful human who is, I think, learning to appreciate a moment that Uh, Took a long time to come.
1: And I think what we learn over and over is there's, you know, it seems like every year there's someone who has a similar thing. They've been working for decades and all of a sudden they have one thing that really makes them pop. So, you know, knowing we know her and we know to look forward to her. But it seems like uh, her big breakthrough moment really could be now or anytime soon.
2: Yes. Let's hope that this is the first of many lead roles for Dale Dickey.
1: Yes. Uh, So let's hear your conversation with Dale Dickey.
2: Dale Dickey, you're here uh, to talk about a love song which gives you a, a well-deserved and perhaps rare leading role. <laughs> um, you're nodding.
3: <laughs> Thank you for saying well-deserved, but yes, rare is true. <laughs>
2: um, what is the feeling being the face of, of a film, especially one that was so well-received out of Sundance um, and, and continues to find a lot of love?
3: It's a really new thing for me, L- little overwhelming, um... It's lovely to have this opportunity. Uh, Max really, you know, he wrote a, a middle-aged love story. And the fact that Wes and I are both, Wes Studi and I are both sort of highly weathered, scarred faces, It's we were the perfect people for these these two outdoors roamers. And um, I, I, I hit the lotto. I lucked out with a wonderful script and an incredibly gifted director.
2: Yeah, it's beautifully made. For me, you're an actor who makes an impression in every project, no matter the size of the part, which at times can be quite small. And I saw that this film's director, uh, Max Walker-Silverman, who you mentioned, um, wrote you a letter, right, uh, asking you to play the lead and, and describing what your work has meant to him. Is that right?
3: Yeah. I mean, there's just nothing more heartfelt to get a letter from a young filmmaker. And I, I watched his two short films before this and I knew he had a real gift. And just his script alone was so poetic and simple and, and beautiful. The letter was enough to just say, I'll do it. I don't even need to read the script. It was so flattering, but um, I lucked out. I mean, who to have thunk? who to thunk?
2: As someone who's been in this business as a working actor for a long time, I'm curious, just like what it meant to to have the letter to see maybe the kind of impact you can have on a filmmaker, and that your work has resonated in that way. Yeah, what did that feel like?
3: It really is a it's it's a it's a beautiful, heartfelt gift that I take to heart. If someone takes the time to write you uh, a letter saying how how much they admire your work and why you're so perfect for this script, it's you know, I've I've worked with more and more young filmmakers and I, I, my agents over the years, you know, if I'm not missing a big money job because I have to take money jobs, you know, when they come around. But uh, young filmmakers have reached out and student films. And I'm and, and like, if I have the time, I, I want to do it. I like working with young, young filmmakers. So, um, you know, it makes me feel a little old. It's like I've been around a while, but it's nice that I've. Made some kind of impression on, on you know, these are our filmmakers of tomorrow, and uh, we need new writers and new voices, so um, yeah, it warms me heart. It makes me feel really good <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to, to be wanted, and then to have somebody put this faith in me um, that I could carry the film. Uh, I was terribly insecure about it and very nervous if I could handle it and I was, I wanted the challenge, you know, when you're scared of something, you got to do it. But Max was so wonderful and a t- terrific crew.
2: Yeah. So, so how did you find that experience of carrying a movie with Wes and, and finding the rhythms of the, of the story and the tone with Max and Wes? What was the experience of making the movie like for you?
3: It it, it was really glorious it was hot we were outdoors the whole
2: time <laughs> it, lo- it looks um, hot
3: <laughs> yeah it was very hot we we filmed on miramonte reservoir which is like an hour southwest of telluride it's a place where max grew up and um i was on we all had to quarantine in Telluride. oh it was so hard um <laughs> <laughs> then that I mean, it's a beautiful place if we are going to quarantine And then then we moved to this little tiny town of Norwood where the crew was in two different ranch houses. We we were in big bubbles. And then when Wes joined us a week later, Wes and I shared a ranch house. But they brought everything to us. We did not go out. You know, we each had individual cars to drive the half hour to set. Um, And we were masked entirely the whole time and particularly difficult for the crew in the heat. But, you know, Max Max came out of NYU film school and he brought a lot of those kids with him, a cinematographer and some that were in different disciplines or came after him. But all those kids had worked together, so it's a really well-oiled machine. And I, I just knew we could trust everybody. And everybody, you are know, so passionate, you know. You, you, there's a, they're not jaded yet. There's a passion. <laughs> a beautifulness about young people making art. And um, so it's good for me to be around and uh, work on my craft and learn learn new things. Um, but Wes was a... Wes and I got along just brilliantly right away. We both have the same politics. We watched Jeopardy and, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we just hung out. And it was, um, you know, I don't want to ruin the movie, but uh, there is one scene of of... Hiking the mountain, which was um, our our rap night, it was the most glorious rap night of my life.
2: Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's a beautiful scene. We won't ruin it.
3: (laughs) It was difficult. I was like, you, it's twelve thousand feet. You might want to take a can of oxygen for the old lady. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't need it. They took good care of me. And up on that mountain, we we could finally relax. It was our last night. We all tore off our masks and lay down and. Looked at the beautiful stars and embraced this wonderful family that we had, this journey we'd taken together. So I'm so happy the film was well-received. I was really nervous about the review. I mean, not nervous. I, I will, I like to know are the review's good, hopefully favorable, but I don't like to read them solidly because then you pay too much attention. But I was most relieved that I didn't mess his movie up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Did you Have you found the exposure to that point new at all or perhaps intimidating? A little bit. A <laughs> little bit?
3: Um, you know, I think the only other time I went through this kind of Media or large-scale film that has gotten this kind of best was when I did Winter's Bone.
2: Yes. And I had
3: that wonderful supporting role as Mirab. And, you know, in the beginning, Jennifer Lawrence and John Hawks and I would go and do Q&As for the film to try to get the word out, and uh, we knew it was embraced at Sundance. But So I had a little bit of a, a taste of this. Going to some of the awards things, they would always try to include me, which was lovely. Mm. Um, and, you know, watching Jennifer... Spiral away. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved. What a what a yes. wonderful actress and woman. I, I tend to be a little shy. It doesn't seem that way. I'm very gregarious. I love people, but um in terms of intimacy and talking about me, I've always it's it's difficult. But you know, I'm not talking about me, we're talking about the film, right? I'm mean, gonna talk about me a little bit, but um the more I the more I do interviews, the the easier it is and I um I just I'm so happy this film is going to be seen, whether whether they like me or not. I think it's a beautiful film, so that's that's where I'm staying right now, staying in the present, and whatever comes my way with you know more screenings and stuff, I'm there to promote it.
2: Uh, you mentioned learning new things in a, making a movie like this. I was struck by how gentle the role was and how gentle the story was in comparison perhaps to some of your, let's say, harsher roles and work.
3: <laughs> <laughs> let me count the number of harsh roles. Most people that see me on the street, they they run from me. They think I have an ATM machine or a chainsaw or something. I'm, I'm going to kill them. Don't let them near your children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this was a, a real gift um, to play someone so vulnerable and and so quiet and Mm -hmm. and so gentle the same with Wes as as well max was talking about that we the two of us are very weathered and always have played sort of violent tough people and to show us in a gentler light was really kind of lovely to play i i haven't gotten to do that that much and so it, it was new and it felt different but max was so good about um i think he had studied acting years ago before he went to film school Studied theater and history, and so he he knows how to talk to actors, quietly and gently, and um, keep you centered, keep me centered, mm. so that I don't fall into Dale's. See, I'm very animated, as you can tell, <laughs> and, and and Faye is very concise and very uh, routine is very important. So I I wanted to really, inst- I wanted to make sure I could find that stillness and that quiet. It's not hard in that environment, you know. That's the start of the film. Is this is the beautiful place we shot in.
2: Yeah, it really just... it it's it, 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 You're a part of the landscape in a really beautiful way. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm curious, you've done many independent films. Being top of the call sheet for this one, had you, over your career, witnessed how actors have handled being in that spot and how to sort of be the focal point of the cast and things like that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I've worked... I, I've been so grateful and lucky to work as much as I have on a lot of different sets with a lot of different people. And I'm not sure I've been number one before, maybe on a couple of student films. But it's still the number thing never really meant much to me. It just meant that you had a, a so supposedly a lot of lines to say. But in this, it's just <laughs> more quiet. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it was important to me. It's important to me on a set to, you know, we all have our moments and and. I was struggling to quit smoking, and so you know my head can turn quickly but i i uh i tr- try to always work well with others and respect you know coming from theater, you respect all the other disciplines and i'm as only as good as the people I'm working with, and they're the ones making me look good and um i just I trusted our crew and um you know it was mostly with my big old face on screen the whole time gonna work <laughs> hmm.
2: um I did want to go back to Winter's Bone for one moment. We are an awards podcast, and I do remember the moment you won the Indie Spirit Award, uh, which felt like uh, a very deserved honor. What do you remember about? <laughs> what do you remember about that? Really, that whole flurry, and and yeah, that being the the culmination, perhaps for you on that, that on that, that tour
3: that 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 was nerve-wracking for me, and i I remember very little about that entire evening and uh, I, I wasn't drinking, so you know I was in shape I just <laughs> i knew I was so excited just to be there, and I knew the film had been embraced by film independent and 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 I knew that they liked Winner's Bone. I never expected to win. I was really thrilled and honored to be nominated, but I did know that that award was coming first, and that made me terribly nervous mm-hmm. um Plus, you know, it's like keep it to thirty seconds, and then all the producers are saying, "Don't thank us. You don't need to thank us. We know you're thankful." And so I get up there and I completely forget to thank Jennifer Lawrence. Number one, um, excuse me, but I, some <laughs> reason I was there, and I tell you what, I learned a lot from that young lady. She's she's raw talent at its best, and, and and a good human being. Um but yeah, I was I was so nervous. I don't really remember what happened. I remember getting up on stage and looking out into the audience and seeing so many big stars and, and I landed on Jesse Eisenberg, sweet little Jesse with his curly hair and he was just sitting like right in the center, just smiling at me. So I thought, Dale, just keep looking at Jesse. You don't know him, he doesn't know you, but he's giving you good energy, and you're nervous. Maybe he's supporting you, but I know when whenever I finished, I turned to exit the stage, and I'm pretty sure it was Mark Ruffalo that had been there to give the award. I kind of collapsed into Mark's arms, <laughs> crying and laughing and in shock. And I know he was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> Get her off of me and get her into the press. So I and then I'd never done that whirlwind thing. I thought I just right. got to go back out and sit at the table. I wanted to see John and Jennifer get their awards. And then they take you through all the, the stuff and, and I kept going, well, Can I stop and watch TV? I want to see my friends. So <laughs> it, it was it was overwhelming and exciting and it was just such a, a new thing for me. It was like being the bell of the ball and and I'd never experienced that before. And uh you just got to take a deep breath and relax and enjoy, enjoy being there and why you're there and celebrating everyone's work. That's really what it's about.
2: Mm-hmm. Did it change the direction of of your career at all? I I, I know that you'd before which Bone*, particularly you'd done a lot of bit parts, particularly in television shows.
3: Of, of course, it it did. I think you know everybody always talks about a big break. I'm like little breaks over the years, you know, starting in theater in New York. Um, And then with Winner's Bone, I knew when I got that audition, I knew this was a casting director I'd never met before. uh, And I knew they did really good films. Um, I knew I fit into that world. I had no idea Deborah would cast me as Mirab, but we had a great audition. Um, But certainly the exposure of that film, the fact that it did so well, And I think it's such a wonderful film, very proud to have been a part of it. That certainly put me at a different level in terms of my agents being able to get me into the room to meet new casting directors. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was a turning point. You know, one thing just leads to the other. And. I mean, Breaking Bad, believing Breaking Bad came out, that's when people, I don't know what it is. I Like, really? I spent three hours in the makeup chair getting lesions
2: put on my face.
3: But yeah. if you recognize me, that's fine. It's the chin and the hair,
2: you know? It's unforgettable. I have to say that is probably, it had to have been 2009, right? Around then. It
3: was, it was. I think I filmed it 2008, 2009. I was right. You know what? I had just finished filming Breaking Bad, and my agents called and said, you have a meeting with Deborah Granick as soon as you get off the plane. That was that day. I had come back from Breaking Bad, and my husband picked me up at the airport and took me, and I went straight in. So maybe I was just on a high, and that helped me. Oh, wow. A skank high. A skank high,
2: the, the, skank guy, the, the <laughs> sound of the crashing ATM machine echoing. As right,
3: <laughs> you're the spank, you're the hooker, and I'm like, could you please clarify? It was on my name is Earl or Breaking Bad?
2: <laughs> yes, that's that does say a lot that we need to get specifics beyond that. You did mention people <laughs> running from you in terror, which I do think is a a testament to. First of all, you watch a movie like a love song, and there is such vulnerability to your work, and it's it's really. Um, affecting and sweet and and there is also a real ability on your part to play very intense harsh characters and that did seem like especially in the smaller parts that you took on earlier in your career um, I don't necessarily want to call it typecasting but I'm curious how it felt for you and how you came to start playing a lot of those kinds of parts
3: I've told this story before, but years ago when I started off in New York, because I came from theater and I I just wasn't auditioning well, and I took a, a casting director workshop, and uh, you know I was like I want to do my Ophelia, I was classically trained and blah blah blah, and they're like no you don't get it, you need to do your Southern, you need to do Beth Henley monologues. It's like no, I'll only be typecast as Southern, but he was basically saying that is what you want, that's what you do better than anyone else. You. Hmm. That's what is in your soul and your heart. You may not have a thick Southern accent, but you grew up there, your rhythm. So I started embracing some of the the Southern roles that I'd been shying away from because I did need to be typecast. It, Hollywood, particularly, when I moved to L.A., it's like they have a very specific look that they want, and I knew I was not the normal kind of look, the the beautiful leading girl. Um, I mean, and one of my first auditions in when I was in L.A. was for... The police shows was, would have been like in 96. And I walked in to read for the, um, the, the next-door neighbor that baked pies. And I literally walked in the room, and the director looked at me, and he went, can you come back tomorrow and read for the heroin addict? <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> because this face, I learned early on, it, it's a strong face. It reads hard. It reads Appalachian. I could have a little mean mouth. There's just something that reads rural and tough. And I, I accepted that, you know, I, um, I grew more and more comfortable with my face as I went along. And um, I don't know what it is about those, those tough, gritty roles, but I sure do love playing them. It might be that I have trouble with anger in real life, and perhaps <laughs> that's why I'm drawn to those roles.
2: It's <laughs> a great outlet.
3: <laughs> but I, I can't use it for that. But, um, yeah, I love, I love trying to find the humanity in in anyone who's on the margin or down and out there's always some sort of hope and heart in there somewhere and uh to try to bring that to every role i play but uh yeah love song you know i don't think faye has too many skeletons in her closet
2: so yeah does it almost change the way perhaps you see yourself as an actor you've you've mentioned your face a few times now and I think the movie really has this um it's beautifully shot um but it it does really embrace your face and Wes's face in all of it, right? And and it does take on a different connotation to say it's it's placed in an episode of Breaking Bad as you're saying.
3: Right. And well one of the things I I can't remember but I what I really loved about some of the reviews from Sundance were that they embraced the fact that Wes and I are older character actors, and like unapologetic close-ups of my face, and then, and and I I got tickled because I think all that they were all trying to find a, a nice way to say she's wrinkled as shit, <laughs> and instead <laughs> like someone said gloriously grooved or wondrously weathered, and so that's <laughs> my new T-shirt, you know. um... It's Botox is not for me. And um, I I love it that I can use my weathered face and and still feel beautiful. My you know, it's hard to but um being in the outdoors. I feel I feel beautiful no matter. You know, years ago, I, I starting out like even in college, I, I always played everyone under 12 or over 50 and. <laughs> Hmm. my professors in school were like you're going to fall between the cracks and then sure enough when I started in the business it was like they they want you to fit a certain mold and it's you're, you're not pretty enough this way and you're not quirky enough this way so you sort of keep falling between the cracks and then you know I came into my own the older I got and I, I tell young students when I talk to them it's like don't doesn't happen overnight I went, didn't expect it to I just was going to keep going but I you know I was 45 when I finally could quit my day job and started working so you know time daily told me years ago embrace your face because you're going to work more and more as you get older and so thank you hmm. time um, maybe I hope that I hope this is not the end of it now <laughs>
2: <laughs> well um...
3: I don't mind doing supporting roles look baby I'm, I just love to work
2: You've got a love song, and you also are in uh, the League of Their Own reboot coming yes. up, and you're a regular in that, correct? Well,
3: kind of sort <laughs> Um, when we did the pilot, I was recurring. I play the girls' chaperone. The chaperone's yes. is pretty much always there, and unless they're sneaking out at night or the privacy of their rooms, they were there everything, and I love playing that role. Um, the girls were terrific, but. When when they went into series, it's like because the chaperone is there, so I'm in the background every time we're on the field, you know. Right. I have to be there. So I'm written into every episode, but I'm not considered a regular. Um, yes. I was a recurring. But it was a wonderful job, and I, I, I learned a lot. I love doing period pieces, and uh, the girls were terrific. We had a great time. And I think it's going to be a really good series. I'm really, really... Looking forward to seeing how people react to this new, more expanded version because it covers a lot of different things.
2: Yeah. So between that and a love song, it's two pretty substantial projects for you coming out in the same year. Um,
3: they were actually originally going to be released on the same day, on July twenty. <laughs> then this was weird. I go to Tribeca for a love song. We our big screening was on like Monday night. The I don't know the fifteenth, sixteenth of something of June. It was the same night they premiered League of Their Own at Tribeca. Except wow. it was two hours earlier, so I <laughs> both. I was like, well, this is fun. I'm completely playing, you know, opposite characters, and wow, this won't ever happen again. So, um, yeah, it's exciting, and I've been so lucky. I've been so lucky to work as much as I have, but particularly during COVID. I, I've been shocked. I mean, it's hard. you you, you got to follow all the rules, and but... You know, we want to keep it going. We got to keep it going.
2: Yeah, well, maybe it will happen again.
3: Never know.
2: <laughs> Never know. Certainly, I would call it overdue, and uh, it's, oh, it's wonderful bless to you. see.
3: Thank you. That's that's really, really, really lovely. It's, it's, it's very kind. I mean, I I love what I do. I've been in this business a really long time, and I, you know, if I didn't still love it, I I I wouldn't do it. Um, so of course, it's nice to. to 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 get recognition for something, particularly something I was so scared about doing, doing lead role.
2: Well, here's to hoping more new challenges and opportunities are on the way. Dale Dickey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank
3: you, thank you.
1: And here's to hoping I have interviewers as nice as you. I'll take that. That does it for today's interview episode. We'll be back on Thursday with our regular roundtable conversation. In the meantime, find us at VanityFair.com. Find us on Twitter at LittleGoldMen. And uh, on our own, I'm at Katie Rich. And David?
2: David Canfield, 97.
1: And you can sign up to text with us at joinsubtext.com slash LittleGoldMen or text 213-513-4203. And a reminder that our book club series is kicking off in August. The first title up will be Women Talking by Miriam Toes. So read along and join us. Our editor and producer is Brett Pukes.
2: Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival.